The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. All right, so here's a question for you. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ the kingdom of God? Christianity, the way, as the book of Acts describes it. Is the gospel and the kingdom a byproduct of human culture, or is it um, a maker of culture, a creator of culture? You may have heard questions like this before, and, and probably not in exactly that framing, but, but here's, here's how it sounds sometimes. You know, you may read something in the Bible and you say, hey, I'm reading this thing about men and women, or I'm reading this thing about marriage, or I'm reading this thing about uh, alcohol or sex or something like that. And someone says, well, I mean, the Bible's great. Like, I'm a Christian. I love God. But, you know, Paul was, he was writing that because, and then they proceed to give you a bunch of contemporary cultural reasons at the time of writing to explain away, basically say, no, 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 it doesn't really count. In other words, what they're saying is, yeah, the gospel, the kingdom, the Bible, uh, all the things related to God and Christianity, they're byproducts of culture. An- another way people think like this is they'll say, yeah, look, I mean, Christianity, it's important and all, but it's a European religion. Or m- maybe the way we'd say it a little more bluntly is it's the white man's religion. Of course, people say that without realizing that the gospel and the kingdom of God went to Africa and the Middle East a long time before it was ever on any European soil. Anyway, you get the point, right? A lot of times people think this way, and we may think this way, that, I don't know, does the gospel have cross-cultural effectiveness? Is it really for everyone? Is the kingdom of God for all people, or was it just for certain types of people? It's a good question. But in Acts chapter 16 through 18... I guess you could argue really the entirety of the book of Acts, but we're focusing on these chapters this week in particular. There's a lot of stories about the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions going about from place to place, preaching in a wide variety of cultures. And the interesting thing that you see is there's both um, an acceptance and an embrace of the gospel across a variety of cultures, as well as a rejection across cultures which would seem to indicate that no, the gospel isn't the byproduct of any one culture. The kingdom of God isn't for one people group or one type of people group or class of people or whatever. The gospel really is for all. And well, I should say, it's for all types. Because the truth is, the gospel isn't for all. Not everyone accepts it and embraces it. But, but check it out. Let me just highlight a few characters to you in Acts chapter 16 and 17 in particular that show us how the gospel is embraced by some and rejected by others. In Acts chapter 16, Paul came to Derby and Lystra, which was a place that he had come to on his first missionary journey back in Acts chapter 14. But he comes back, and there's a young disciple named Timothy. His mom was Jewish, and she was a believer. It says it in verse, uh, verse 1 of Acts 16. And then it says, but his father was a Greek. The implication is probably that not just, oh, his dad was Greek in terms of his ethnicity, but his dad was not a believer because that detail is not given about him. Okay, so here's this biracial kid 
living in Lystra and Derby, not a prominent place by any means. He is on fire for God. Matter of fact, he's so serious about God, the, the saints in that area were telling Paul about him. They're like, man, this kid Timothy, he's got it going on. Paul asked Timothy to become one of his traveling companions to go preach to other places, and Timothy accepts. Now, you may say, okay, so what? The kid was Jewish, Paul was Jewish, you know, there you go. That actually kind of we're starting to confirm that maybe the gospel is just for a certain type of person. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, there were a lot of people in the region where Timothy grew up, this on-fire disciple. These were the people that back in Acts chapter 14 stoned the apostle Paul to the point that they thought he was dead and they drug his body outside the city. Same place. Timothy wasn't some byproduct of a religious culture that was predisposed to believe in the gospel of Christ and to embrace the kingdom values. No, no, no. He did accept the gospel, but a lot of people around him did not. How about another example? You move on in Acts chapter 16. They travel from place to place, and eventually Paul has a vision, which some have dubbed the Macedonian call. There's a man who says, please come and help us. And so Paul and his guys, they get together and, uh, and they go. It's Paul, a traveling companion named Silas that he picked up in Acts chapter 15, and then uh, Timothy, who we see here in Acts chapter 16. Also, interesting note, in Acts 16 and verse 11, the writer says, So after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the next day to Neapolis, and he just breaks down these places. Uh, Luke, the writer at this point, has joined Paul's traveling party. There's a lot of fun stuff to think about with that as far as what that the implications are for our understanding of how Luke came to his knowledge of the gospel and all that stuff. It's really neat. Don't have time to dive into it now. But anyway, it's uh, Paul and Luke and Silas and Timothy. And they travel and they come to Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant it wasn't just a city that had been captured or was ruled over by the Romans, but rather it was an integral part of the empire. Citizens of Philippi had the same rights as people who were citizens of the city of Rome. It was a really big deal to be from Philippi. And so they come and they find some people in this very cosmopolitan, powerful city. Not the types of places they were always going to, by the way. But in this um, powerful, cosmopolitan city of the empire, they go and they find some women praying down by the river. Now, the reason why this is significant is that what this almost certainly indicates is that there wasn't a very heavy Jewish presence in Philippi, or at least not a very faithful one, where people were really serious. There was no synagogue, apparently. Paul's custom was to go into synagogues in the cities, but here he finds a group of women praying down by the river. They preach Jesus. Uh, Paul and his companions preach Jesus to these women, and one of them, a woman named Lydia, in verse 14, was listening. She was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here's this well-to-do businesswoman, a seller of purple, which would have been really luxurious clothing in that time and culture. She's not just a simple kid like Timothy. She's a cosmopolitan woman who has a powerful, is a part of a powerful industry from a fancy place like Thyatira and living in Philippi. The gospel was for her too. The story goes on and Paul and his companions are working in Philippi, preaching and teaching. And there's this girl who's possessed by a demon and uh, there's a strange turn of events with that. Suffice it to say, Paul and his companions liberate her from demonic possession, but her owners, her slave masters, 
realized their chance of profit was gone now that she wasn't possessed by the Spirit. So they get angry and they throw Paul and Silas. We don't know what happened with Timothy and Luke. Maybe they weren't there. Maybe, who knows. But anyway, whatever it was, Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. Uh, By the way, I'll note with you, here, same culture, same kind of people as Lydia and Philippi, totally reject the kingdom, totally reject the gospel. While they're in prison that night, God sends an earthquake to open the prison doors and they uh, get out. And after that, they end up preaching the gospel to their jailer. Now, we're not talking about you know, a woman like Lydia, who's a worshiper of God. Now we're talking about a man who almost certainly was formerly a Roman centurion, someone who had worked in the military, but now worked at in the city jail there in Philippi in this Roman colony. He wasn't somebody who you might think would be predisposed to having a tender heart and a tender conscience. And yet he cries out to these men in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And after they tell him, well, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. They preach to him the gospel. They give him the word. And that very night, he was baptized into Christ. Timothy, Lydia, the jailer, these people are nothing like each other. They're coming from totally different backgrounds, and yet the gospel impacts each of them powerfully. Similarly, the people around them respond in the exact opposite way. People from Timothy's hometown tried to kill Paul. People from Lydia and the jailer's hometown had Paul and Silas thrown into prison for punishment for what they were doing. You come to Acts chapter 17, a couple more examples. These are less personal and more group examples. Uh, Paul comes to the city of Thessalonica, and he preaches there, verse 2, as was his custom, He visited them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ was to suffer and rise from the dead. And he was saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And while a lot of people were excited about it, they wanted to hear more, eventually the Jewish leadership in that city rejected Paul. They imprisoned one of the new believers. It was a horrible situation. Here, these people should be the most predisposed. He's reasoning from their scriptures in their synagogues. If the gospel was a byproduct of culture, the Jews would have been the first ones to sign up, especially with a Jew like the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to them. And actually, if that's what you think, you'd find some confirmation in verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Same people group. By the way, less than 50 miles away, Thessalonica to Berea. Really close. And here, we were with Jews last time, but man, you know, I mean, that culture rejected Jesus. So it must be the same here, right? Verse 11. Now these people were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Here, we're in a really, really close proximity, Berea to Thessalonica. We're looking at the exact same ethnic group with the same religious heritage, with the same worldview and beliefs, totally different responses. Because the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God is not a byproduct of human culture. It's something that challenges every culture. It's something that taps into the, the good, the few good and godly remnants left in every human culture. The gospel has cross-cultural, uh, I would say, appeal, but also creates cross-cultural disgust. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. Some people receive the gospel and some people won't. And the reason for that is that the gospel is a global message. In Acts chapter 17, we see that in particular in Paul's sermon uh, to the, the philosophers and the wise people in the Areopagus, 
in the city of Athens. Paul had ended up in Athens on his own. His traveling companions were kind of scattered to the four winds and they were all going to meet back up. But he had to spend some time alone in Athens. And when he was there, we read from the text that he was having conversation and dialogue with the locals there. He was observing what was going on in the culture around him. And he preaches probably what's one of the most, um, I don't know, relevant, meaningful, striking sermons, especially for Westerners in the 21st century. You know, some of the other sermons in the book of Acts are very focused on Jewish history, which for some of us may be a little bit distant. We know it's important. We can read in our Bibles about David and Moses and Abraham and stuff. But it's kind of like, okay, cool history lesson, Paul. Thanks. But the the sermon in Acts 17 hits a little different. And the message, without a doubt throughout it, is that the gospel is a message for all people because God is the God of all people. Uh, Listen to a couple little pieces of it. We're missing some really important stuff. Obviously, we're just doing a real fly, a quick flyover here. But listen to a couple of the verses. Um, Acts 17, verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything that's in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. By the way, the Areopagus, or uh, what some translators say, Mars Hill, is basically like this little rock hill right next to the Acropolis in Athens, which was where all the Greek gods were and where people would go to worship and where no doubt Paul would have just looked over his shoulder and seen this hill of of pagan worship and just said, hey, I'm telling you about something here. Anyway, he goes on, he says, look, that's not the place. He's not even served by human hands like he needed anything since he himself gives life to all people, life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. Do you hear what Paul says? He says, I'm trying to tell you a message about a God who made the whole world, all right? It's not like what some religions say, that, well, one piece of the world was made by this set of gods and this piece is ruled over by that God. No, no, there's one God who's Lord of heaven and earth and everything's in it. He made it. Not only that, he made the human race. He gave life to the human race. He made from one Every nation of mankind, every nation finds its its origin in this one God. And every individual within every nation has life and breath and, and meaning and existence from this one God. The gospel message, the message that draws us back to God is a global message because God is a God of all the globe. He's not of some cultures and not others, or he prefers some cultures and, you know, isn't all that interested in others. No, there's one God over one creation, over one human race, and that's why he calls for the same universal response. Verse 27, God did this that they would seek God if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him. Though he isn't far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, we also are his offspring. The gospel is not a cultural message. It's not a byproduct of culture. It doesn't prefer some cultures. It doesn't um, diminish cultures. Actually, I guess you could say it diminishes all cultures. You know, the question we asked at the beginning, is the gospel a byproduct of culture or is it a culture creator or a culture shaper? Maybe the way to say it is the gospel and the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus Christ, is an entirely different culture altogether. Maybe we shouldn't even use the word culture. It's just its own thing. It's the kingdom. It's the good news. It's truth. It's the way of Jesus Christ. 
Now, you might be sitting there, and whether you're someone who believes deeply in Jesus or someone who doesn't, you may say, I don't know, how, how can we be so sure about this? Yeah, so a bunch of random people from different cultures, not random, but a bunch of different people from different cultural backgrounds and different socioeconomic backgrounds and different religious backgrounds and different generational backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, so they all believe. That doesn't prove anything about whether or not the gospel is a byproduct of culture. What gave Paul the reason for saying, the message I'm preaching to you is a global message about a God who rules over all the earth and about a God who gives life to every individual on the earth and every uh, people group of all the earth? And what is it that gives me the audacity to say that each and every person from each and every culture should seek this one God and give up on all the gods of their various places and their worldviews and all the things? At the end of the sermon... He uh, talks about how God's going to call people to account. Whether or not they repent will be uh, the basis of God's judgment for all people in the end. Through, it says, uh, the man, verse 31, whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all people, proof of all these things, proof that the gospel is a global message, proof that there's one God over all the creation, proof that all people, however different our cultures and our nations and our histories may be, all people come from one proof by raising Jesus from the dead. The gospel is truly for all, not just for some. And the gospel will truly offend people from all places because the gospel is a message fundamentally about the solution to humanity's universal problem, death. The gospel is a message about the resurrection from the dead. You remember that's what Paul said in the synagogue in Acts 17. He was reasoning from the scriptures that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead. Here, whenever he spoke to the pagan philosophers who had probably, almost certainly, never heard of Jesus of Nazareth, maybe never heard of Nazareth and couldn't care less about Palestine and Judea and the Jews and all that. I mean, that's an interesting little pocket of culture out there. Well, we don't care about that. He preached the same message to them. Resurrection. You know why? Because every human being, every human people group, everywhere around the world of all time has faced the same universal problem. Death. And the gospel provides the solution to it. Life everlasting through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So no, the gospel isn't a byproduct of culture. Unless you want to call the death that every human being faces culture, then yeah, sure, I guess. But even then, it's not a byproduct. It's the victory over that thing. If you're a Christian, this means don't back down from your convictions about Jesus. Don't be intimidated by thinking, well, maybe I'm just a byproduct of culture. No, this look, this is based on historical fact. This is based on truth. This is based on stuff that happened. And if you're not a Christian and you're suspicious of Christianity, I get it. There have been a lot of people who say they're Christians and they act terribly. They emphasize their culture and they do try to uh, use their cultural power, religion, for cultural power. And that's happened many times throughout the centuries. But let me tell you, that's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus Christ is life over death. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness and peace for all nations. The good news is that salvation is for all. The Apostle Paul ended up in a place in Acts chapter 18, Corinth, that was unlike anything he would have ever grown up in and maybe had even experienced up to that point in his life. We're not sure of all the things, all the places he went. 
But it wasn't the kind of place where he would want to be. It was opposite to his culture in every way. It was opposite to all of his sensibilities. It was not a pleasant place. We know that from his writings to the, the people from Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But here's what Jesus said to him. And I think it's a word for all of us from all places in the world, how Jesus sees the world and sees us. In Acts 18 and in verse 9, Jesus said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but you go on speaking and do not be silent. Even in this place where it seems like every cultural pressure would push them away from the gospel, you keep on speaking. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many people in this city. I don't know. You may think that the gospel is only for some. You may think that the gospel is just a byproduct of culture that some people will embrace and others are just predisposed to reject. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus looks around all around the world, people from all places, and he knows the universality of his good news. He knows the global need for God who made the world and everything that's in it. He knows that it doesn't matter whether you're a kid from Derby or a successful tradeswoman from Philippi, or if you're a former military officer, or if you're a Jew, or whoever in between. He has many people in this city and every city around the world. And he just wants you to come home. That's what he's trying to do, is to bring you home, to take you out of your sin and out of your hopelessness, and give you a hope and a vision of a future with him in the kingdom of God. That's the good news. And that's better than anything any culture's ever produced in this world and ever will. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.